Good morning. Today, I want to speak to you about the topic of koinonia. It's the Greek word used in the New Testament to speak about profound, deep relationships that we are blessed with when we come into a relationship with our Lord. My brothers and sisters, you and I were created and redeemed by God to firstly relate to him, to come into relationship with the Lord, but also to come into relationship with other believers as our brothers and sisters. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes that God in Christ has become our father. Now, if God is our father, he obviously has a family. And that's why the New Testament repeatedly encourages and emphasizes on this, that the other believers in the redeemed community of the church are our brothers and sisters. Therefore, it is not surprising that as recorded in the book of Acts, the first church in Acts chapter 2 naturally started doing what was later instructed and repeatedly uh, reminded by the apostles in the other parts of the New Testament. Well, what did they start doing? Well, they started being together. The book of Acts chapter 2 tells us how on the day of Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and after Peter's first sermon, we see that 3,000 people were added to the church. And these 3,000 people, there is no record that they were commanded to do so, but they started meeting and fellowshipping with one another. The Bible actually records that they broke bread, ate their meals with gladness in their hearts, fellowshiped from house to house, meeting even in the temple courts. They shared and lived life together. They began to enjoy and experience what we know as koinonia, fellowship. Because of the redeeming and transforming power of the gospel in our lives, koinonia happens because of the transforming power of the gospel to such an extent that it breaks the barriers of age, ethnicity, caste, socioeconomic differences, even past offenses are erased. And brothers and sisters in Christ begin to experience the joy and the blessing of fellowship. But now, as we begin to look at the New Testament, we see that there are instructions, there are commands, there are encouragements, there are even cautions. And what it helps us understand overall is that for us to have a fruitful koinonia, it requires each believer in the community to ask himself and herself, what am I bringing onto this table of fellowship? Not merely thinking, what is there for me on this table to consume and enjoy? What you and I receive and learn from the Lord in our personal relationship and time with the Lord becomes the basis on which the Lord will help us to enrich our communion or community when we come together. So our personal relationship with God becomes vital so that our so that our fellowship in God becomes meaningful and a blessing. So you cannot swap the above for long. What I mean by that is that if I'm constantly dependent on the community alone, 
to satisfy my deepest longings, to satisfy my spiritual hunger and thirst for my daily meal of spiritual bread and drink, I will eventually get disillusioned. As the community of the church is not meant to be my source of life or the source of my identity or worth. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life. He is the river of life. He is my savior. He is my Lord. And so I am connected to him firstly in a way that I receive my worth, my identity. I receive my deepest longings being satisfied in him, by him. But yet, I grow up in Christ when I share with his body, his community, what I freely receive from him. I grow in him when I put into practice within the community the truths he teaches me in secret. When we all bring in words and deeds what the Lord gives us or teaches us, the whole community is learning, growing, being blessed and becoming a blessing. So they tell us that some churches in China welcome new believers by saying, Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with. He has new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, and a new heart to love others with. By being involved in Koinonia, my brothers and sisters, in this beautiful fellowship in God that we can share with one another, you and I fulfill a part of our calling by serving other believers in practical ways. And there is no small service to God. It all matters to God. And so we see across in the New Testament, there are so many scriptures that tell us how we can be a blessing to one another, how we can be a blessing to the community. In fact, Paul writes in one place, that it is to be a priority that we first be a blessing to the household of faith. And we see that this is explained very visually and graphically in the Apostle Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul uses the analogy of a human body. And he helps us understand is that as in a human body, if any member is not connected to the head, that area or that member gets paralyzed even though it is in place and connected to the other parts of the body. But it's also interesting using the same analogy that if any member cuts himself or herself from other members around it, it automatically also cuts itself from the head. So that's interesting. What we understand from this example of the Apostle Paul and even in other scriptures, that it is impossible to re relate to Christ and not relate to his body. In other words, Christianity is not a solitary journey of faith. We grow in Christ by being part of the body of Christ. We grow in Christ when we be part of his church. Jesus is not just coming to build me. He's coming to build his church. And you and I get built when we are committed and connected to his church and his body. So my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, request you to stay connected 
obviously first to the head, that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, but also be connected to one another, be one together. So when we look at the New Testament, we not only see that we are called to be a blessing to one another, but we also understand that together we pursue the command of the Lord of the Great Commission to go to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. But here's the point, my brothers and sisters, we cannot do this by ourselves. We understand there are some people who are more gifted than the others. But just because some appear to be more gifted exceptionally by others, no one is exempt from the need that we all need one another. And we cannot fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives by attempting to do it alone. I remember once, just a couple of years back, Faranmi was sitting with a, with a senior servant of God. And this is what he told us. He said, even if, I would, even if the Lord were to give you another hundred years, or even if he were to give you a thousand years, you would not be able to fulfill his purpose for your life alone. You and I have been created, redeemed, and designed to be part of his body. We fulfill our call by joining with other fellow believers and doing it together. So our koinonia, our koinonia in Jesus, our fellowship in Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, in Jesus, energizes us to reach out to our uh, oikos along with our fellow believers. I want to, you know, look at the life of the Apostle Paul in an interesting perspective. You know, many of us obviously uh, get enamored, you know, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, a man who was a complete terrorizing uh, uh, Jew, a Pharisee, before he came to the Lord, dragging believers from the houses and putting them into prison was even kind of responsible for the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And then we see that armed with letters, armed and armed with soldiers, he was on his way to Damascus. And we know about that very famous, dramatic, powerful encounter that he had with the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, I want to take us to the book of Acts chapter 9. And uh, I want to highlight certain aspects about not all of it, and we're not going to look at it in detail, but I want to highlight some important things about the life uh, of the Apostle Paul, and especially in the context of how uh, the great Apostle Paul, and I say great in quotes, you know, the great Apostle Paul needed the church. He needed fellow believers in order to fulfill God's purpose for his life. So we see in Acts chapter 9, where he's on his way to Damascus, he has this life-changing encounter uh, with the risen Lord Jesus, and then he's blinded. And see what happens is in verse 9, it says, for three days he was without sight, he neither ate nor drank. So he's blinded. He's had a tremendous encounter with Jesus. And in the very next, uh, in the very first words that, he, that comes out of his mouth, when the Lord speaks to him, he says, Lord, what do you have me to do? What do you want me to do? That means he's already surrendered his life to Jesus. He knows that this is Jesus Christ whom he has been resisting. And uh, as he surrenders his life to Jesus, and he's in, this, in, in the house of a particular person, now look at where it begins in verse 10. Join me if you can. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple in Damascus, in that very city of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now that's interesting. Our Lord who had such a powerful encounter with the apostle uh, Paul, then known as Saul, could not the Lord have directly healed him also of that supernatural blindness that had come on his eyes? Of course he could have. But you see, the reason God ordained it, that a simple believer by the name of Ananias, in his time of prayer, the Lord appears to him and commands Ananias, go to so-and-so person's house on so-and-so street. Look at the clarity of the communication. Even the very street, the name of the house, the name, the name on whose house it is. And the Lord tells Ananias, go and pray for him. And he has already prepared Saul by giving him a vision that there is this disciple who is going to come. His name is Ananias and he's going to pray for him and he's going to regain his sight. You know what does it tell us? This was God's will and plan that Saul who was an enemy of the church would now get connected to his church. Because it was in the church and through the church and with the church and working with fellow believers that Saul who would then become the apostle Paul would begin to fulfill God's call over his life. And Ananias is an obedient disciple. He goes, meets Saul, lays his hands on his eyes, prays for him. He gets healed. He regains his sight, baptizes him uh, in water. And Saul, now becoming Paul, begins to preach the gospel in Damascus. And so what we see is we see amazingly how God gets Saul, then the apostle Paul, connected to the church through uh, the disciple Ananias. But it doesn't end over there. And we see over there that in, from verse uh, uh, 20, now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. And he immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And so we see that how immediately Paul or Saul gets into fellowship with the believers and he starts preaching the gospel. And even as that happens, you see in verse 30 how that very fellowship of believers, realizing that the threat on Saul's life has begun to increase, they protect him. So it says in verse 30 of chapter 9, now when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So we see how the church has now begun to encourage Saul. The church has begun to protect Saul. And we see that the church is now, the fellow believers are even guiding him in the right direction. Now let's go further. And we see some interesting things happen. And as we go ahead, we see that Saul is then introduced to a dear friend, a dear disciple by the name of Barnabas. And as his name uh, was, so he lived up to it. Barnabas actually means the son of encouragement. And so when, when Saul came to the Lord, the disciples were worried about him. They, they were still skeptical about him, that how could this man who was such a terror now become a follower of Jesus? But it is Barnabas who steps out and begins to help the disciples accept Saul who had now become Paul. And we see that uh, he takes uh, Saul to Jerusalem and he gets him introduced to the apostles over there and makes Saul accepted and comfortable over there in Jerusalem. 
And after a time uh, in Jerusalem, they then moved to a very strategic city, a very strategic city and a church that would become very, very pivotal in Saul or the Apostle Paul's call over his life. And that is the church at the city of Antioch. And over here now, in chapter 13 of verse 1, now look at this, this is so important. Here you see the church in Koinonia. The church in Koinonia playing such a pivotal role in the call of the Apostle Paul in verse 1. Now, there were prophets and teachers at Antioch. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 is what I'm reading. Now, there were prophets and teachers at Antioch in the church that was there. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, said Paul and Barnabas, apart from me, for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted, prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so we see this very, very important thing that happened when the elders, when the prophets were gathered together along with Saul and Barnabas. You know, the Holy Spirit spoke to these elders and to the prophets who were there and told them clearly that Barnabas and Saul were to be set aside for the work of the ministry, they were to be sent to the Gentiles. And, and what we know is after that, the three very important big missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul began to what we know today as modern day Europe. And when did it happen? In what context did it happen? It happened in the church, beloved. When they were praying together, when they were worshiping together, when we understand that they were experiencing genuine koinonia. My brothers and sisters, you know, I can actually take us much ahead. But what I'm trying to bring forth is that if the great Apostle Paul was so helped, so blessed by the church, he was led into fulfilling his call by the church, then how can you and I be exempt? I do get concerned about believers, believers who've been so many years in the Lord, and they still have a touch-me-not attitude with the church. They still don't want to be open about their life, share their heart, you know, want to maintain a strategic um, a kind of a, a stealthy distance from believers. You know, they don't want to keep in touch. They're not part of genuine koinonia in the live groups, uh, in the Sunday services. And I get really concerned that how can God fulfill his plan and purpose for your life if you are going to maintain such an unhealthy distance from the church? from your spiritual family. You are part of the body of Christ if you're a genuine believer and a disciple of Jesus. And God cannot, I don't believe, according to the word of God, that God will make an exception for anybody and say, no, I will do something different with you. You can be away from all the believers and I will still fulfill my purpose for your life. It doesn't work that way, my brothers and sisters. We have to have genuine koinonia. We have to let our guard down. We have to be vulnerable. And <clears throat> what are limitations and our weaknesses that we will encounter when we come together, God will help us to seal all of that and fill that up and, and, and help one another to still be a blessing to each other by his love, by his presence, by his, by his power. He will help us to overcome those things and truly be connected to one another be a blessing to one another and work together to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. 
What I'm basically saying is that in order for Shannon to fulfill God's plan for his life, Shannon has to be connected to his spiritual family. Shannon has to be wholeheartedly, sincerely connected to the fellow believers that God has brought in and around his life. Beloved, I really believe this, that you and I did not choose our church. God sovereignly brought us into a specific community. And we need to be thankful about it. There's no church that is perfect. There's no community that is perfect. I can tell you that with years of my experience, my travel, my friendships with the pastors and leaders across different cities and states, there is no church that is perfect. And if there is a perfect church on planet Earth, the moment you enter it, it becomes imperfect because you are imperfect. So that was just a joke. But it is a true joke because the fact is this, beloved, that there is no perfect church. We are all called to appropriate the grace of God, to be connected to one another and to be a blessing. I want to take us to the last part of what I want to bring across. And it's my real prayer, beloved, my brothers and sisters, that we who are doing well with Koinonia would do even better. But I would encourage those who have not been, you know, uh, enjoying Koinonia, get connected to the church, beloved. Get connected to a life group. If you're hearing this message and you're not part of a life group, you need to ask yourself, why am I not part of a life group? And I don't mean to ask that in a critical or a condemning way because that would not serve any purpose. But ask yourself, do I have any fears? Do I have any insecurities? Do I have, have I had any genuine concerns that I need to address? Do I have some genuine questions that need to be answered? Get in touch with us, talk about it. But get in touch and get connected to a live group, get connected to fellow believers, begin to experience genuine koinonia, beloved, and you will see God do precious things in and through your life. <clears throat> so I want to take you to what I call as a cryptic command, you know, and the reason I use the word cryptic is, I, I will explain, come with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. And over here, you know, it's a very famous, uh, a very, very well-known passage of scripture that encourages koinonia. But it encourages koinonia in a particular perspective, in a particular context, which is what I want to talk about. And the writer of Hebrews, the unknown author of Hebrews, is actually saying uh, some very important things here. Starting from verse 23, we're going to read Hebrews 10, 23. He says, firstly, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. So he's basically saying that let's hold fast to the gospel because there is no other basis for our hope. So he's saying, hold on to the gospel and hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. <clears throat> That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is interesting. He says, and of course, he's encouraging that because the reason we should not stop and we should not waver in the confession of our hope because the Lord is faithful. The second thing he says is let's consider. That means he's saying, let's think in verse 24. Let's consider, let's think how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Now, that's beautiful. That is the purpose of koinonia, beloved. The purpose of koinonia is to experience love and to experience good deeds. Beloved, 
sometimes people have self-inflicted loneliness upon themselves. They have self-inflicted despair and discouragement by choosing to be alone. Even when people reach out, they don't respond back. And I say this to you very, very clearly, beloved. It doesn't make it is not right for me to beat around the bush or, or to be giving subtle hints. You know, sometimes I look at our own community and, and there are a few of us who have made a decision to stay away, you know, from Koinona. And I wonder why, beloved. If you would say something like, I'm really busy, you're basically implying that others have so much of time in their hand that they can sit and make casual calls and just, you know, keep, keep, keep pursuing people. Beloved, everyone's busy. Everybody's got roles and responsibilities to fulfill. But don't afflict yourself with despair, discouragement, loneliness, falling into sin and falling into an unhealthy lifestyle by staying away from koinonia. When you come into koinonia, you will begin to experience the love of God in new ways. People will love on you. People will encourage you. You will experience good deeds from fellow believers, not just words, but prayers, affirmations, even, even tangible acts of kindness will be your portion because that is yours in Christ Jesus. As the apostle Paul wrote in another place in, in 2 Corinthians, that all things are from Christ and all things are yours. And we are yours because we all are one in Christ. So beloved, it is yours. God wants to bless you. He doesn't want you to be in despair. He doesn't want you to be lonely. He doesn't want you to be discouraged. He doesn't want to deprive you of the breakthroughs that you can have in your life. All you need to do is be at the right place at the right time. Come into fellowship. Now, even as the author of Hebrews says that, he then says something very important. He's upping it up in verse 25. And he says, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people. And he's basically saying there are some who it has become a habit for them to stay away. And he's saying, don't follow that, but rather make it a habit to be together. And again, he's saying, but encouraging one another. And here is where it's the cryptic command. He uses this last line in verse 25. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there are two things to it. In other words, he says, true believers will know when the day is drawing near. For the last 2,000 years, all true believers of Jesus Christ, when they are told this one line, they know what it means. It means the coming of the Lord is nearer than ever before. My dear brothers and sisters, I want to ask you today, on this day, the 11th of July, 2021, is the coming of the Lord near? If it's near and it's nearer than it has ever been, then I want to ask those of you who have been staying away from Koinonia, what are you aiming to do by staying away from fellowship, beloved? I need you. You need me. We need one another. And we need to be there to encourage one another, my brothers and sisters. We need to be there together to stir one another to good works. And so here is the cryptic command. He's saying, firstly, believers, you will know when the day is approaching. You will know. You will see it in the light of God's word. You will see it in the scriptures. You will see it by the things that are happening around you. You will see it by the signs that Jesus himself gave to the apostles recorded by the New Testament writers. You will know that the day of the Lord is approaching. And he's saying, when you see that happening, then what is your responsibility is not to run helter-skelter, freaking out, but he's saying, get together. 
get your koinonia deeper and stronger spend time in worship spend time in prayer help the one who's weak encourage one another with good words and with good deeds and as you and i experience genuine koinonia beloved we will be able to pursue the mandate of the lord to preach the gospel and make disciples even more powerfully my dear brothers and sisters this is a request this is an encouragement that we should experience genuine koinonia as a community so my 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 brothers and sisters you know as i come to the close of this message i want to encourage you because you and i were redeemed and we've been designed to be in fellowship with god and in god to be in fellowship with one another and even as we see this day approaching i want to encourage you to make a decision to not be alone so don't wait for people to keep calling you beloved to keep texting you you know and you're you're continuously avoiding step out of the zone call up people keep in touch with people you know god has given you giftings god has put good things in you and you can use that to be a blessing to people as i say it doesn't have to be big big things all service matters to god get connected to a live group and reach out to your oikos you know i'm not just talking about koinonia just that is selfish and self centered that is just all about us no as we experience healthy koinonia among ourselves we then together as a community can reach out to the community that is around us our unsaid family members relatives friends loved ones you know when we have genuine healthy koinonia what did jesus say they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another we receive the confidence that is from god to reach out to our loved ones and friends and invite them into the koinonia that we are having in the father in the son and in the holy spirit my dear brothers and sisters i want to encourage you even as you see the day approaching let us encourage one another and stir one another to good works because the coming of the lord is near Amen the lord bless you i know i have rubbed you a little firmly this morning but it is for your good it's for our good and our benefit the lord bless you i believe that we will have better koinonia in the coming days god bless you